This is episode five of the Rising Man podcast with Titus Kahutek. Boom, let's go. Welcome to the Rising Man podcast, everybody. I'm your host and creator of this show, Jetty Azuma, and I've got another incredible episode for you guys today. I brought on a man by the name of Titus Kahutek, who is just an incredible, incredible transformational movement coach. That's what that's what I call a transformational movement coach. He is the co-founder of Heroics Training Systems, which is a body-based coaching practice up in Seattle, Washington. He is a builder of dynamic leaders. He's in the, he's involved in martial arts, functional movement, and overall superhero badassery. He has been committed to this work for many, many years, and he brings a very unique perspective on how to unlock the mind-body connection, how we can be more integrated and connected in our bodies, and how to access our superhero powers from within so that we can create outside in the world. Some of the things we dove into in this episode were taking responsibility for our lives as men, how sports and play can help us quiet the mind and how that can be medicine for the body, how to find our way out of depression, how to train to be a superhero, how to identify your own hero mission, talked about some fitness myths and an alternative training perspective, as well as a new definition of strength and masculinity for all of us men to adopt. Without further ado, I present to you Titus Kahutek. Hey Titus, what's up, man? How you doing over there in Seattle? That's so good, man. It's a beautiful day. Yeah, yeah. A rare beautiful day up there from what I understand. No doubt. The clouds parted. It was uh, super stormy yesterday, a lot of snow, but then it just got crystal clear. One of those beautiful winter days where the sun is low, but just lighting everything up. It's been crisp and beautiful. Yeah, man. That's awesome. We don't we don't get much of that snow down here in Southern California. So <laughs> no, no, <you> don't. <laughs> I'll have to take your word for it. I know that California's hurting for snow right now too. So uh, glad you guys are getting some up I there. I was in knee deep powder pretty much all day yesterday. <laughs> oh, rub it in for the California <laughs> listeners, why don't you? <laughs> uh, well, that's awesome, man. That that's great to know a little bit about you and the fact that you're you know you're in your life you're getting physical all the time because that's that's what we're here to talk about today the the mind body connection and and why it's important for us as men to be connected to our physical bodies, especially in a time and age where it's a, it's very easy to leave our our physical body. So I'm glad that you're here with us today. And, and you're definitely the right man for the job. Thank you so much. It's, a, it's a, actually just such a crucial conversation to be having. And the more we're having it and the more it's spreading, the better. Because um, that part of our experience, the physical or our body, part of our experience has been um, removed from us for so long. And there's so much potential in reconnecting that relationship. Yeah. I agree, man. And you know, that's a big belief in my heart. Yeah. So before we ju- jump into all the juiciness of that, I always like to start with this question that, that gives a good context for the conversation. And that's what to you is the difference between a boy and a man? It's mm, a great question. You know, something that has come to me over the years is the word accountability. And I've associated accountability with being a full adult. When we're fully accountable for our entire life, the whole story, that's when we enter into our adulthood. In our case, manhood, um, you know, in a woman's case, womanhood. But for us, from a boy to a man, a man has declared this life is mine. Mm. Wow. 
That's beautiful, man. It's it's funny. I'm starting to see a pattern as I do more of these interviews showing up with the types of responses and accountability for oneself, responsibility for oneself is a really important distinction between a boy and a man, I think. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we start to get the controls. We take the controls. We say, I am no longer blaming my history, my family, my past, my parents. My life is my own and now I'm a man. Mm. Yeah, I also like to draw the distinction uh, between victimhood and things are happening to me instead of things are happening for me. It's like yes. a very critical threshold between boy and man that I see. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Awesome, man. Well, that's great. So let's, uh, let's use that as a transition point. Uh, I'd like for you to just give us a little background about you and, and uh, how you came into the mind-body physical work that you do relative to your own development as the man that you are. Yeah, you know, I guess it's so many, for so many people, this is an evolutionary story. It's a process that kind of happens over time. But, you know, growing up as a young child, I just loved playing. And that's what I like doing more than anything in the world. And school really was difficult for me because I like to play all of the time, you know, outside, running, jumping, throwing, chasing balls. That was just where I found my space. Um, I found an outlet for that. Uh, when I was younger in soccer. So I I got to play soccer and I played religiously 300 days a year. You know, I I had cleats and ball at my foot. Um, I played all the way through college. So being physically active was always my focus. Um, It didn't really start to synthesize into this mind-body experience until, well, I guess retrospectively, I started looking at when I played soccer, how everything would disappear. Right. I never thought about my classes. I wasn't thinking about anything other than what we were doing and the focus of my skills and the focus of my practice. Um, I found so much joy in that mindlessness that I sought it out in a lot of different areas. And I fell in love with skiing and soccer and even fighting like martial arts, you know, anything that brought the synergy of the mind, body and spirit into focus um, without thought. Wow. That, and that's really fascinating, man. I've never heard somebody speak to it that way. But um, a lot of people, even young people I speak to, um, I ask them, how do you deal with feeling anxious? Because I'm amazed. Every young person I talk to these days has anxiety or is depressed. And a lot of them, they say they don't find that mindlessness like you talked about um, unless they're playing sports or doing something like that that brings them into that singular focus. Absolutely. It's, it was so crucial. And, and I would say, yeah, anxiety was, was such a part of my younger experience, but I didn't know it was. I just channeled it into activity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and the, the fact that you figured that out, how did you fig- – so what age are we talking about, first of all? Yeah. Well, I started playing soccer when I was five, you know, right. so I just always loved playing. Um, I didn't figure out that it was medicine. You know, I didn't figure out that I was taking medicine in my physical activities until I was in my late 20s, you know, wow. when, I, when I made a huge life transition and, and I was now out of soccer and I left college and now I'm, I, was, I moved to Seattle for the very first time. Um, and I went through a period of depression like I've never experienced. I didn't, I, I never experienced it because I always kept myself busy. I always ha- was engaged in something. When I moved here, I had no job, no, no, no gym, but I'd always worked out. I've always gone to the gym. I started when I was 14 and I just never stopped, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I had no job, no gym, no money. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know 
anything up here. I've never been to Seattle. Um, I moved in September. 9-11 just happened. So September 11th happened a week after I moved here. So uh, I was watching the war on my couch and not moving. And I was in this extraordinary depression that I've never really known in my life, you know? Mm. Um, and something just beckoned, something inside me said, find a gym and find people, you know? Mm. And so I just, I, out of desperation, really, I ended up at a 24-hour fitness um, asking to work at the front desk. I just graduated college, you know? I just went on a round-the-world trip. I was flying high, and then I just hit the lowest low. Um, and desperation brought me into that request of can I just work front desk graveyard just give me something you know wow. I need something and and wow. uh and they suggested training um because I had a nutritional science degree mm. um and so that when they suggested training I figured I'd give it a shot you know and that's where my life really changed all around because I started working with people in a really new way and and that changed everything that's really cool, man. I really, I really dig that story arc. Personally, there's a lot that I can relate to in that. And I know we've had our conversations before. So um, that's really cool to hear a little more of it. And I, I want to back up a step before yeah. you saw the, you know, the, the light, the clouds parting and the light shining on you. Um, I want to dive into a little bit of that sensation of the depression, you know, that feeling of like hitting your low, it sounded like you really had no clue what was next and what you were going to do. So absolutely. Can you uh, expound upon that a little bit and tell us what that was about and what you were feeling at that time? Yeah. I mean, it was a pretty heady and heavy time. Like I said, there was a lot going on. Um, but the depression really showed up for me, honestly, was when I would be talking to my family back home or I'd be talking to somebody on the phone from Arizona, some of my old friends. And they're asking, like, how's it going up there? And I'm like, oh, it's good. Yeah, no, you know, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's kind of, it's good. You know, I'm good. <laughs> and when I catch myself saying that, you know, it felt like somebody really trying to convince the other person but themselves that they're okay. Um, when really it was anything but my, my wife at the time, I'm, we're divorced now, but um, she started medical school. So she was gone 16 hours a day. You know, so we had this really deep relationship for many years, and then she was off doing her school. And so I was virtually alone. And, and I would say that, you know, it got to near panic attacks. It was, it was cold sweats. It was um, being really unsure of my feet and my confidence, something that I've always been really comfortable with. Uh, but now it was totally shaken to its foundation. And Something really woke up in me then about this relationship between body, mind, and spirit. In fact, it inspired a tattoo I actually have, which is a triangle. And that triangle being the, um, a remembrance of balanced growth in body, mind, and spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and that concept came into full frame when I was fully depressed, you know, when mm -hmm. I was in that full um, trough. I was, I was in that, uh, it, it got even darker than that, but um, I went back to, to Tucson because of it. And through a series of kind of happenings, Tucson made it clear that that was no longer my home. I went back, I was longing for where I just left because we went on, out on such a high note. Mm -hmm. Like we had three crews running, we were throwing huge parties. We, we had the whole city kind of locked down, you know, and, and, uh, and we were riding high and I left all of that to move here. And so it was this grand adventure into the unknown and absolute insecurity. 
Mm. It's, it sounds kind of like you're you're setting off to take flight for the first time, and and you, and you kind of cr- came crashing down all the way. Yeah, yeah, all the way down. <laughs> and even and so, if I heard you correctly, you said you actually went back to Tucson. Yeah, and went back there. So somewhere in there is that where the bottom happened, like the absolute, yep. the absolute bottom. bottom. Yeah, yeah. I went back. Um, I had been, you know, we were kind of in the party scene and throwing like raves and. Uh, my friends were throwing a party and it was going to be huge. And so I flew back down there to, to spend time with everybody. And I just saw our, all the darkest parts of, of that whole scene, you know, and um, just got some really heavy news about some people in the scene. And it was a very clear sign that everything I thought it was that I was leaving was no longer there for me. And that the story was in front of me and I've already moved in that direction. So to keep going. Um, And that's when I really came back to Washington with a committed decision to make my life here. Um, Regardless of what it looked like at that moment, this was now the future. It's that's really fascinating. I can see your, what it sounds like to me is you're describing a crystalline moment where you had this sudden realization that this is not it. Like, everything that I thought that this was is is really not it. And I'm hearing more men describe this exact moment as like a, a critical point in, in their journey. So what was it? What was the next thought that happened? So so after that, oh, my God, this is not it. What was the absolute next thought that came into your mind? Well, you know, that's a, it's a little longer story because um, I came back and I had a, a gestation period, I should call it, because... Um, you know, this is going to get really personal, so we'll, we'll share it. But I, but I came back and there was this girl that I had um, been intimate with that was in Tucson that was at that party. And she told me she had HIV, but she didn't tell me until then. Mm, wow. Right. She didn't tell me until then. And that put a lot of things into question, you know, and it put my life into question. And um, I had to go back to Washington a, and tell my, my wife, she knew, but I had to tell her. And that was a big moment. And then I had to wait. I had to wait with that news until I can finally be cleared, right? And so there was, a, there was just a, an intense um, focus on relationships and life and death and impermanence and all of these things, you know, like all of these things that were really very real. And I was 25 years old. Um, you know, it was, it was powerful shit. And so that, that, that dark period, when I finally got cleared, literally is a whole new life, right? It's a whole new potential, um, that comes out of something like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. so then everything was clear. Um, it was, it was a full commitment and now I am training as a, as a personal trainer and working with people and seeing them kind of come into powers that they didn't know. And that synergy just said that this is something that has value for a lot of people going forward. Wow, man, what an incredible part of the part of your story. And thank you. First of all, thank you for sharing that and being vulnerable enough to and, um, and also what what came into my mind as you were sharing it was your definition of the difference between a boy and a man. It's like, suddenly, here's that opportunity for you to take accountability to, to, to be accountable and take responsibility for the choices that you made. 
Yes. And now, now, what was that like to really be in that position of I, I'm responsible for this and, and owning that for the first time in your life? Oh, such a beautiful question because it was such a powerful moment, you know, and, and it happened before I knew the outcome that I had to come to full peace in terms with, you know, speaking to my family and, and the whole process. And, and so um, that's when full accountability really took hold, you know, um, and it's, it's been something that's been unfolding ever since. And it, I think it keeps growing with the accountability because that was accountability from my life, but it brought into question about my accountability to my brothers and sisters lives and the lives of the people here with us and um, the planet, like, you know, being accountable to the whole, not just me as an individual, but full accountability to war, poverty and everything else. Um, and what is my role and what is my responsibility and how can I affect change where I can? That's awesome, man. And another theme that always comes up in these conversations is uh, the, the challenges that we go through that feel like the worst thing in the world while we're going through them. On the other side, it ultimately become a place from which we can serve. And amen. I, I really amen. hear that in you. Yeah, amen. Yeah. I call it mining the trough. Mining the trough. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Mining the trough. Beautiful. Um, cool. So then you had this, this real intense time of your life, a lot of uh, facing yourself, taking ownership for your life and getting cleared. So I'm sure that that moment alone was probably pretty incredible for you, huh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, and, and really um, at that same time, I had met my business partner um, and my training had exponentially amplified, you know, like what we were doing and what I was doing physically was the most intense and fun and self-discovery process that I've ever been through, learning about anatomy to the depth that we did, putting that anatomy and that understanding into practice in the gym, how we did. Um, so we, and people would actually stop us literally and they would like, what are you guys training for? You know, like, what is, what is, what's the deal? <laughs> We're not pro athletes. What are you guys doing? Um, mm -hmm. And we didn't have a good answer. So we, we came up with the answer of we're training to be superheroes, you know, and, mm -hmm. and we were at first kidding, but then it became really serious. It became um, what do superheroes need? And it's about this sensitivity and awareness training. It's about um, intellectual discovery, like actually expanding the intellect and, and the physical attributes. Um, and so in training to be a superhero, I started looking much more into Joseph Campbell, which then informed our business name, which is heroics, you mm -hmm. know, so we, 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 uh, we were living that kind of creating heroics. Mm. So, so what does superhero training look like? I mean, just the, the full spectrum of it. I, I want to get paint a clear picture for everyone who's listening here. I, I think it's, you know, that's an interesting question when we started and it's 25 year old me versus 42 year old me now, mm -hmm. um, the answer is, is different, you know, uh, but at the 25 year old me, it was about exploring the edges of my capacities in a lot of different directions. You know, it was about how far can I push this body? How much can I transcend discomfort to uh, achieve an objective? Um, it was, it was how sensitive can I make my, um, attention and awareness how perceptive can I be to the moment? You know, this is about seeing distinctions where distinctions are really thin and, and being able to hit those margins. Um, and that's kind of a superhero attribute is that kind of skill. 
Uh, you know, and then the other was, is serving something bigger than yourself. This has nothing to do with me and my needs, but us and we, and, and where we're going and how we can kind of bring the collective to this new state. Um, and that kind of superhero training, you know, is, is, uh, is full maximizing your individual potential to fully serve the collective potential. Cool, man. So even even more of a vivid picture. It's, are you guys doing like body weight stuff? Oh, are you yeah, flipping? Yeah, yeah, are you like sitting that. and meditating uh, for hours and uh, yeah. hours? <laughs> You're talking. What is, what is it looking like? Yeah. No. You know, yeah, but all of it. Yeah, totally. You know, so um, the the tagline on our on our as heroics is purpose, practice, and mindset. And so we know that um, a mission, a purpose, is the first and foremost uh, necessity for being a hero. If you're going to be a hero, you have to have a mission. What is it that you are here to do? And clearly define what that means to you. Um, once you have that purpose and that mission, then you can start to ask questions of what mindset is necessary to accomplish that mission. If I'm going to be successful on that mission, what organization does my body mind have to take on in order to realize that? Um, and then you can start looking at what practices develop that body mind state what what practices um inform my body and shape myself in a way that resonates with that purpose and mission um and so then you have your nutrition practices what kind of foods and, and information you're putting into your body you have your movement practices how well you're how um deeply you can articulate your physical being and skills um, then you have your relationship practices how you develop long-lasting supportive relationships with people that you can resource and help resource um, you have your uh, professional practices whatever that is for you how do you show up as a profession do you show up in your full capacities and serve the people you intend to um, so depending on what your mission is then we can really start to define a practice list so that that becomes the baseline and beat for the who you need to be in order to resonate with that what. Mm. So it sounds like it's very personal, very personal based it, yeah. on what someone is up to, what they want to accomplish and achieve. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and team. So we do the same thing with a team. You know, mm. So looking at a meta body, a, a, whole, a whole organization as a body and how they do that too. Mm. Very cool, man. One question popped up in my head. I love what you said about every hero has to have a mission or a purpose. And I thought all of a sudden I had these flashes of different X-Men in my mind and their stories and they're all on a mission, right? Absolutely. But then it made me wonder the opposite. What happens to a hero who doesn't have a mission? Uh, that's an interesting question. Can you be a hero without a mission? And, and, uh, you know, and I would say that the hero spirit for sure, but the action is inspired by something in the distance. Mm -hmm. The step, the, the movement, what's compelling that individual forward, even if it's a question within their own being, then that's a mission. Mm. Right. That, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. So, so would you say that there's always something there? And if we're just not aware of it, maybe we haven't looked deeply enough? I believe that. I believe that. I believe that's the deepest question we have is the purpose and the mission. And so many people I work with, that question alone can be a three-week conversation right, mm -hmm. is what is your mission can be really actually um, disconcerting for people because what am I without a mission? It brings up anxiety. It brings up, it brings up even depression because, oh, you're right, I don't have a mission, you know, and, and uh, that's, the, that's the grand, that's the thing of it. It really, you have to make it up. 
you have to find that thing inside of you that says, yes, that is the direction I want to move this body, this mind, these feet. Yeah, man. One of the words that I use along with mission and vision and purpose is direction. I think of it as Mm -hmm. like a personal compass. And without that sense of direction, you're just expending a lot of energy in all different directions, not knowing where it's going. And I can personally relate to the pain of that, of feeling like, man, is my mission really just to wake up, go to work, come home and repeat? And I'm sure that many people listening to this are going through the same thing or can relate to that. Absolutely. Well, and you know, here's the deal is some people that is their life, right? They do that. And the mission, sometimes it's mystical and it's mythical and it's in your own mind and it's in your own heart. And it might look like you're waking up, going to the office and doing that. But if in your heart, you're on a mission serving something of greater good than yourself, then that's valuable work. Whether that be your family, whether that be your garden, whatever that is for that individual man, the reason they chop wood, carry water every freaking day is because of the mission. And they can find, a, they can find something poetic and beautiful within even a mundane experience. Mm. And that's, that's really important to note is that there is no uh, measurement that justifies how big of a mission qualifies as a no. worthy heroic mission. And that, no. um, you know, some people are on that mission already and it's working for them. So how does somebody know that, maybe the mission they're on is not the one or it's not big enough for them? Mm, That's a great question. I imagine their body mind would be freaking out and telling them, (laughs) you know, I imagine there's all types of, I mean, there's a whole, that's a whole storyline of the reluctant hero or the, the failure to answer the call. You know, there's this call. And and if we miss the call, then that's a whole storyline. I mean, you know, and, and we could even resist the call. And I would imagine primarily that's more going on than anything else is that people do feel compelled in a direction and they, they betray a piece of that. And in that self betrayal, we get into anxiety and depression again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's draw an even clearer picture about, you know, you said anxiety and depression, but what are some of those other physical, mental, spiritual symptoms that might show up for somebody who is not on it right at that moment? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, you know, it's, so much of this comes down to our cultural separating of our body and our mind, right? And, and I think that's where a lot of depression lies is, is that in that um, they go to work and they think that they're just going to work and then they have to go to a gym to take care of their body. And if they're really stressed and they're anxious, well, then I better go to a therapist to go talk about my stuff, right? And in that disintegration, we start to, to pull ourselves apart and diminish the whole, and ultimately we find ourselves anxious and depressed again. And so I think, you know, what we're working on is integration, integrating the body-mind into absolutely eliminating that line, that distinction between a body and a mind. Mm-hmm. And, and in eliminating it and bringing yourself into wholeness and saying, like, I go to the gym to expand my mind, and I go to, I read books to inform my body. Right. That yeah, if you can yeah, think yeah. of it like that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's and that's I think that's really helpful. A great way to frame it up. Um, so, so some of the people who come and work with you, what are some of the things that when, when you I imagine you do sort of like an entrance interview, kind of getting to know where they're coming from for the first time. What are some of the things clients report to you as why, why they came to you in the first place? Why are they coming to you to do the work? Yeah, man. Well, you know, um, 
so many people come in with the classic reasons. I want to lose five pounds. I want to lose 10 pounds. I feel weak. Ultimately, they usually come in with some dissatisfaction about themselves and their body, mm -hmm. right? And, and they want to come in to get fit. And this is what the message that they're coming in with. And so this is how they come in. And we really kind of take, meet them where they're at. Um, but we hear that I'm dissatisfied with your body, mm. right? I'm dissatisfied with something about myself. And so much of our role is really guiding attention into self-discovery. So instead of self-improvement, self we call it self-discovery. And when you really start to love what you are and how your body works and the communication channels that your body-mind works in. So they come in wanting to lose that five pounds, but quickly they forget that's why they're there. And they start to get really excited about what they're learning about how to move, how to actually embody themselves in, in dynamic space, how to mm. use their attention and awareness and movement so that exercise isn't boring, but it's a constant like roadmap to strength and coordination and understanding. Um, and so that's how people, that's, you know, that most of our clients are with us for more than 10 years now mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, because, because of that, you know, because yeah. of that, because we're not focused on that five pounds and there's so much more than I want to get toned. Mm -hmm. That language is I'm disconnected from me. Mm -hmm. I want to be toned is literally I'm disconnected, right? Like, yeah. especially, you know, you're a physical therapist. When we talk about tonicity, we're talking about how the, the nervous system is connecting to that muscle, right? And holding it in a state of readiness. Mm -hmm. It's holding it in a state of perfect readiness and that's being toned. So mm -hmm. when they say I want to be toned, what they're saying is they have an outside view of muscles that they want on their body. Mm -hmm. But no internal connection to what that means to have that muscle. Oof, man. Yeah, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had to have that kind of conversation <laughs> with somebody and, and really trying to get to the nature of what is it you really want here. And I think yes. what, what I'm hearing you say is that's, that's the job you take on is how many layers deep can we go here before we find out what really is the heart of the matter? Right. And so when you say what do they do when they come in, we have a really long process. We have a a three session movement analysis. So the first one is a static postural assessment, just how people stand with gravity, how their shoulders are organized, how their hips are organized. We look at um, length tension relationships around um, the joints, especially knee, like hips, knees, and backs. If you have a, a really tight right hamstring and a really le loose left hamstring, well, that's gonna play out into the structural relationships in the body. So we take that into account. Um, then we do a movement assessment, a 40-minute movement assessment of the seven primal movement patterns. Um, you know, a bend, a twist, a, a gait, a press, a pull, a lunge, and a squat, right? And in those seven patterns, we'll see um, compensatory mechanisms, how people through injury or through trauma have learned to hold their body and learn to coordinate those movements. Mm. Um, that's how we build their first program. But we also give them a coaching agreement that has the real why they're there. What's going to be different for them as a result of their commitment to a practice? What is, what is it that they're going to know about themselves that they didn't know before? Um, how in a year from now is this going to be relevant to their actual life? You know, so we get them really centered into what it is that they expect to get out of this experience because they're bringing it in. Not mm -hmm. where we don't provide anything. You know, we have an expertise in how we observe, 
but they bring in the, the effort and the attention and the willingness to be successful. And we want, we want to make sure that they declare that before we start our relationship. That's really cool, man. I'm, I'm smiling over here because I'm thinking of what would a, what would 19 year old bodybuilding competition version of Jetty have to say about everything that you just <laughs> shared? And his voice is kind of saying, you know what? Wait, wait, working out, it's not all about, you know, lifting weights and, and building muscle and, you know, creating micro tears in my muscles so that they'll hypertrophy and get bigger and I'll get more, more girls. It's like, and, and I imagine that yeah, I'm not the only guy in the world with that voice in the back of his head. So no, nope, um, nope, nope. we get some cockeyed looks at first, no doubt, you know, for sure. And we like it. And the, one of the things that we say is tigers don't know they have muscles. Mm, and the concept like that. that we've actually went to the gym with in dissecting the human body through anatomy and looking at the red, looking at the red stuff and saying, oh, that's the important stuff. And we cut off all the fascial tissue, connective tissue, the things actually supporting the structures. We cut all that away and said, oh, look, it's levers and pulleys. And so we made a gym to cut up a body. We made our mind cut up our body. So if my mind is working out my biceps, I'm literally creating dysfunction within my movement patterns, right? I'm literally highlighting my nervous system is lighting up my biceps more because of that concept. And it's actually going to destroy my shoulder. <laughs> I, I've, I've never heard somebody articulate it so clearly. And, and I, I mean, that's, that's what I've seen for at least, you know, the amount of years that I've been had that level of awareness that so many people are training their bodies without knowing the purpose, right? So going back to what you said, they don't really know why they're training their body other than to look good, feel good. I'm supposed to do this. Or and, I hate my body. That's why. Or I hate, exactly, or I hate <laughs> my body and I want it to be different. Absolutely. <laughs> and then they're also training themselves in a way that they saw on TV or they, you know, saw in a magazine and, and it's, it's different. There's more that we're capable of as humans, right? Absolutely. And they're looking at the body from the outside. They're not feeling the body from the inside. They're saying, I want these external attributes, not realizing that the nervous system is the king, right? The nervous system. And, and when you build a healthy, beautiful, articulate, skillful nervous system, it builds all of the body mass it needs. It builds the coordination. It builds the patterns necessary to be as strong as you ever need to be in any situation. Wow. And I love that you bring it all the way back to the nervous system because I don't trust anybody who's a trainer, who's a physical therapist, who's whatever, a movement specialist, unless they start talking about the nervous system first. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. It's, if you're talking about problem. muscle, we're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. We got we to we back it up a few steps, right? So, and I, and I know, not to make anybody wrong who's coming from that perspective, but people who are listening to this that don't have that awareness or information, what is somebody who's not paying attention to their nervous system experiencing right now when they train? Yeah, it's, it's kind of sad, man, because I know so many people are out there with the right intentions. They actually want to be doing the right thing. Um, the challenge is what's being offered is actually facilitating the deconstruction. It's facilitating the breakdown. So, you know, if somebody who's really fed up, I'm going to lose weight, and they bring themselves to running or a treadmill. Um, I think that Back to the nervous system, anything that's moving your body is going to be dumbing down your nervous system, right? So mm -hmm. if, if, you have a, if you have a belt moving your legs and your legs are trying to catch up, your nervous system is getting less intelligent with every stride. Mm -hmm. If we go to a machine that puts our bodies on tracks and moves in a track in, a, in any type of linear or fixed or kind of repetitive way, that also dumbs down the nervous system. 
And so for anybody who really wants to get into this from as a novice, I would say that learn how to master internal loading. So any closed chain movements, weightless lunges, weightless push-ups, weightless pull-ups, things that are just you moving and mastering internal load around joints. And then once you master those patterns, those basic patterns, then you could externally load the patterns with weight. And when you know how to master internal loads, then you can start applying external load and master external loads. And then you'll start to see the nervous system uh, get stronger and stronger and stronger. The other thing I would say to uh, somebody who's new, just coming into it, is take it easy. Um, neural fatigue like happens way faster than muscular fatigue. And in our CrossFit culture, we've actually fallen into an addiction to the sensation of exertion as opposed to the purpose of deeper connection. And if we fall into the addiction of exertion, then the pain mechanism lets us know we're doing it right. Yeah. I, I always think of, um, you, you don't, every time you drive your car, you don't drive it until there's, you run out of gas. Right. Or redlining it. Yeah. Redlining it and running out of gas. It's like, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. You know, yet we, you're right. We've created a culture you know, um, and not to demonize CrossFit, but a lot of no. fitness culture overall is is or organized around this idea that if you don't exert yourself fully, completely, then you haven't done it. You you left right. some out there on the road. Um, and and pain, a, pain, the violence, the the violence is part of it. Like getting shredded, no pain, no gain. Like the adversarial relationship to the body. So when we talk about a mind body relationship. A lot of the fitness industry is set up on an is literally set up on an adversarial relationship between self and body, between mind and body. It means the mind drives the body into compliance, wow. and that relationship is the breakdown. And so, if we start going the other way around and start listening to that integrating experience that movement can bring us into, then it becomes a really powerful practice instead of a, an injurious practice. Well, this is great, man. This is great stuff here. I, you know, I'd like to shift gears just slightly towards yeah. the direction of, of specifically for men, because I know that you work with uh, male and female clients, but I, I'm really interested in the implications of some of these beliefs for men's. And why don't we start off with just the belief around what it is to be fit, what it mm -hmm. is to you know, maybe body image consciousness, wherever you feel called to go on that topic. That's so important because I don't think it's, it's spoken to enough. And I think like you mentioned a younger you with this desire to be as strong as possible to get girls and all of these messages that we get from, especially, I don't know, the eighties action heroes, you know, the, the Arnold Schwarzeneggers and the, the Sylvester Stallones and the underwear models and the, you name it, the images that men are given about what fit is and what people want is, is really poisonous, you know, and, and it really teaches us to hate our bodies and to, um, build these bodies of defense, right? We've built these masculine bodies, these warrior bodies that, that indicate how scared we are in the world. So when we talk about men, especially, and, and our anxieties and our fears of what it means to be a man in this world, um, it puts a lot of us under, I wouldn't even say pressure. I don't even think it's fair to say pressure. I feel like it's a trauma that we have even, haven't even begun to articulate mm -hmm. um and and really this idea of the the rise of the feminine bringing these softer aspects of our masculine being 
into the practice where, where our, our fitness practice is more about self-love and self-discovery than self-mastery and self-discipline, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we, I, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I, I was raised in that competitive warrior culture and I actually did pretty well in it. You know, I, I got to play collegiate sports. I did have the, that body. I did all of the things. Um, but the hate that was driving it for myself you know, I remember when I was training that I would deny myself water breaks if I didn't like how I performed, right? Yeah. I would, I would, um, there were, there was constant punishment for my lack of discipline for myself, yeah. for myself, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. and I called it, I called it actually, I gave it credit. It was, it was my badge of honor, how hard I could work, how far I could push myself, how much I can hate myself. Wow. You know, um, and, and that, that's, that became too much. It, so that's what I think is done. That's what I think the fitness industry has done to men. Um, and, and, uh, I'm really doing a lot to bring it away from that. Um, because I do see the damage it's done, not just to us physically, mentally, but really emotionally and how that's actually damaged our relationship to women. And it's damaged our relationships to our sons and our daughters. Um, and, and so we, we have a lot to offer by bringing this softer aspect to masculinity forward. Um, and I think that it's going to be the new definition of strength, ultimately, is that integrated understanding of the masculine and feminine as a balance between in all of us. Yeah. And it's so important, man. I, I, what I think about is uh, a multi-dimensional man. I think the man of the future is a man who has multiple dimensions to him. Um, whereas in the past, it was looked at maybe Clint Eastwood, Dirty Harry was what everyone was striving for. It's that hard, rugged, grisly, right. lone wolf character. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. And um, it, it kind of. I know you're a man with a worldly perspective and a global perspective. So I think about when I used to go to the gym. I don't work out in a gym anymore, but when I used to go to the gym. There was as soon as you walk in the door, you feel the sense of, okay, who is the biggest dog in the pack right now? And you're looking around, you could see men posturing and you know grunting, and it's it is that element of that competitive culture trying to figure out who's the biggest dog in the room. So I, I know that you agree on this, so we don't even have to go into that. But what do you think are the implications of rewiring that culture into something more of what you said, oh, uh, more, more collaborative, less competitive, and and something like that? You just gave me chills, right? I do have a vision of men playing and training together and laughing together and being comfortable being around each other and, and really serving to build each other up through the play of competition, through play, not competition, but through play, you know, good, engaged play, um, roughhousing and learning. Um, you know, I think that that culture of man actually creates the support structures necessary for the whole culture. When we're all like that we're not in a competitive space but we're actually in a, a a space of being brothers and learners and teachers together um and holding each other to the highest standards possible uh you know i think that's how we serve each other but it's not just how we serve each other that's how we serve the community because a group of men walking around the town like that actually holds harmony together you know it holds peace together and and i think that our physical attributes and our strength and our commitment and our will is is very valuable and shouldn't be thrown away and it shouldn't be shamed and um, the the masculine uh, being pushed into the corner doesn't serve the collective either 
And so there's this new balance that we're striking. And, and I think that's what we're working out right now. Right. And just for clarity's sake, you're not suggesting that we throw out some of that endurance, that rugged masculinity that we've no. cultivated before, but that we, what do we do with it? Right. And I, I like to, you know, I like to say everybody knows I have a sword, you know, I keep it, <laughs> I keep it well sharpened, you know, and, and, <laughs> like everybody knows that. And it's so much easier if I didn't ever have to take it out. Nice. Right? And, and, and it's so much more fun. And if everybody knows, like everybody is well sharpened, and everybody is is handling um, their space, you know. Then it's a beautiful thing, and I think we can come together like that. Um, and and by well sharpened, I don't mean you have to wear all the armor, right? It's like I'm aware, I'm attentive, and I'm here, um, and that's what training could provide. That's a that's a great one, man. I I hope everyone hears that. The I've I've got a sword and everybody knows it. <laughs> and the less <laughs> I have to take it out, the better. <laughs> great. <laughs> I love that one, man. Beautiful. Well, as we start to get close to our, our time to wrap up this amazing conversation, I I'm I'm just gonna say it right now. We're gonna have to come back for part two at some point because this is Oh this gladly, is great, gladly. <laughs> um but uh in the spirit of time, I, I do want there are some questions I'd like to wrap up each interview with. So uh, if you're game, I'd like to jump into that part. For sure, for sure. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out a different way to ask this question. I've been asking it as, you know, what is something you wish you knew when you were 18? But what, what is, I guess, just what is some information that you as a younger man, looking back, w- wish you would have known then that you know now? Yeah. Hmm. Does investing count? <laughs> <laughs> Amazon, Google. <right? laughs> yeah, wise investments. You know, I think, I think I will say that though, wise investments. And, and what I mean by that is I used to be really money focused um, and I invested too much of my time, effort and attention in focusing on, on money and aesthetics. Um, and if I am truly growing into the wise investor of what real resources are and that being time, effort and attention, those are the ultimate resources. So know how to invest those wisely and what matters. Um, the people that matter to you and they're supporting your growth and development or my growth and development and, and really the, the practices and the, the environments that you invest your time, effort and attention into to cultivate your future out of. Um, so invest those wisely. And I would, have loved, I would have loved to know actually the concept of investing mm. when I was younger. Yeah. Likewise, man. And, and I love to say that all the time is that, you know, so we say the word investment and immediately it has a financial component to it, but we're always investing in something. Yes, always. Whether it's relationships or <laughs> video game acumen or whatever it is, we're always investing in something. Uh, very cool. Uh, and lastly, I, I think a lot of this is actually tied in the responses you gave during this interview, but as clearly and simply as you can put it, what do you think it means to be a man in the modern world today? These words of... Um sensitive, resilient, accountable, and active. Mm. Beautiful, man. Sounds like that belongs up on the wall somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, Titus. Well, listen, man, you're a man that I I respect greatly, and I know that we have a a lot of parallel belief systems, and I just want to say I'm, I'm so grateful that you took the time to be here on the show today, and grateful for the work that you're bringing into the world, man, because you are, you're a pioneer and you're a really uh, powerful man, powerful example for me of what it means to have a vision and to carry it through. 
Well, thank you, man. It's a pleasure. And it's such an honor hearing that from a man like you. I, I respect and admire you a great deal. So thank you so much. Likewise, man. It's great when it goes both ways. Uh, <laughs> so so just to just to wrap up officially, uh, how can people follow you, learn more about what you're doing, learn more about Heroics Training Systems? Hit us with yeah, you all could, the You info. can always Google Heroics Training Systems. Um, we are at heroicstrainingsystems.com. We have a Facebook page. We also have an Instagram. Any one of those, uh, we, we put out a lot of good information on. Um, other than that, you can always just, yeah, just email me, Titus at heroicstrainingsystems.com, and we can have a conversation. Nice. So for the Facebook group or page and for the Instagram, what are the, what are the names? And I, I can put it in the show notes later. Uh, Facebook is just heroics. You'll see it heroics and it's in Seattle, Washington, um, but it's not heroics, Washington. That's another, that's another one we used to have. Uh, so just heroics. Um, and what was the other one? And Instagram. I think you said you have an Instagram. Oh yeah. Heroics also. Heroics, heroics also. training. Yeah. Beautiful. Excellent, man. Well, uh, until next time, until we'll have to, you know, set up our next conversation. But until then, man, keep doing the good work out there. And thanks again for being on the show. You too, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Bye. What a show, folks. Titus is just such a dynamic speaker and he's so genuine in his message. I really enjoyed the topics that we dove into and particularly his unique perspective on the state of masculinity and the balance of the feminine and the masculine and how important that is for where we're going as a society. I think that Titus also has such a command of the human body and how to lead people on their journey to becoming the hero that they want to be. I'm so glad that he got to drop some of that wisdom here on the Rising Man, on the Rising Man show for all of you guys. So as always, some reminders, make sure you check out this episode and others at therisingmanpodcast.com. While you're there, subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't already, so that you'll get immediate updates on episodes, content releases, and new opportunities for this growing community of rising men. Please, please, please leave a review of this episode of this podcast. It does help you guys. It really helps other people find this show, discover what this show is really about so that they can have access to some of the wisdom that you have up to this point. Leave a rating, leave a review. Let us know how we're doing because, again, this is for you guys. We want to make this the best we can for you. If you haven't already, please join the Rising Man Facebook community at facebook.com slash groups slash the rising man this is where we're going to discuss every episode each week as they are launched we'll discuss some of the uh, big topics that come up on these episodes as well as daily dialogue and discussion with other men from all over the world the rising man is on almost every continent at this point so we've got men from all different cultures all different backgrounds discussing what they're going through as men in a very safe and um supportable environment so please if you haven't already join the facebook community and also invite a man that you know to join the community because every man needs some brothers out there so let's spread the word guys i need you guys to spread the word uh, make sure you guys reach out to us on instagram we've got at the rising man pod and my personal instagram at jetty azuma you can always contact us and leave feedback and comments on the website at the rising man Last but not least, I want to give a shout out to my man, Sean, over at Less Than Three Records. You can follow him on his Instagram handle at Less Than Three Records. That's three spelled out, T-H-R-E-E. He is the genius behind every one of these episodes. 
cutting, chopping, pasting things together so that it's pleasurable to the ears and so you guys can follow along. So Sean, my man, appreciate you and everything you do. And until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.